The National Archives podcast series, New Files from 1978, presented by Mark Dunton. This release of high-profile records from 1978 has been the result of a huge collective effort between the National Archives and key government departments. Comprising nearly 1,000 boxes and over 5,000 records from Number 10, Cabinet Office and the Foreign Commonwealth Office, these 1978 files provide a fascinating insight into the thinking of key players 30 years ago. By increasing our understanding of the past, you see throughout history many reoccurring themes, for example, concerns about immigration, defence cuts and economic crisis. It is the National Archives' key role to work with government departments to manage their information from the moment it's created to its transfer and release into the public domain and to preserve it for future generations. The remarkable stories of 1978 we've discovered are a testament to this work and a selection of the files are available to download for free from our website until the end of January. Here's Mark Dunton, contemporary historian, to explain more. In some ways, 1978, up to the late summer, had been a period of relative calm for James Callaghan's Labour government. Inflation had been brought down to just under 8%, and it had peaked at 27% a couple of years before, and the economy appeared to be in recovery. But then the government ran into political difficulties when its 5% guideline for pay increases was rejected, first by the TUC and then by the Labour Party conference. The Ford workers went on strike in September and the winter of discontent, as it became known, began in December with further industrial action taken by the oil tanker drivers. Now, the government were faced with the possibility of petrol stations drying up and they were worried that essential supplies may not be able to get through to the parts of the economy that needed it. So, the government prepared Operation Drumstick, which was a plan for using troops to take over from the tanker drivers, and they thought about declaring a state of emergency. The strikes then became widespread in the public sector in January and February 1979, and these had a huge impact on the general election of May 1979, which saw Margaret Thatcher's Conservative Party sweep to power. So it can be argued that 1978 saw the unravelling of the post-war consensus of the Keynesian approach to having the state intervene, an approach based on conciliation and compromise, and then the beginnings of a sea change which resulted in the Thatcher Revolution. The files are interesting because they show that actually many people in government, or some people in government, saw trouble coming from quite a long way off. For example, Bernard Donoghue, who was a chief advisor to Jim Callaghan, says as early as December 1977, he records, of course, 1979 is still a long way off. However, even at this early stage, it is possible to see that several problems might develop in early 1979. Certainly, Jim Callaghan is receiving quite a lot of information saying things seem to be pointing to an election in 1978. Things seem to be looking best to go to the country in the autumn of 1978. In another file, David Lipsy, who is an advisor to Jim Callaghan, writes on the 5th of October, politically... Abandoning 5% will be embarrassing. But could we win an election 
after a winter of discontent in which a large chunk of the Parliamentary Labour Party will be sympathising with the malcontents. He also is saying, how hard are we going to fight on this 5% limit? He suggests we fight, but not to the death. This is an interesting set of remarks because it appears to be the first mention of the phrase winter of discontent by a government official, the first person perhaps to coin that, certainly in government circles, in October 78, before the real trouble gets underway. Many historical commentators have wondered exactly why James Callaghan deferred the decision for a general election in 78. And the files are very interesting because they reveal some of James Callaghan's thinking about this. Now, there is a fascinating note by James Callaghan in a file which is all about the forward thinking about the year ahead. And at a particular meeting on the 19th of September 1978, James Callaghan writes down his thoughts during the meeting that he's having with his advisers. And he writes, I've been written off more times than I care to remember. And he then starts to list all the times that he feels he's been written off by the press and by other commentators. So he says, in March 1976, they said an election in the autumn. At October 76, conference, I had delivered my best and last speech as PM. He goes on to mention all the other occasions very precisely, one after the other. And then he concludes, then they decided they would fix the election date for October 78. Neither the press nor the Tory party will fix it, he concludes. And I think this shows the whole matter had become a matter of pride for James Callaghan. He was going to choose the date of the election, and as he saw it, he wasn't going to be bullied into calling an election before he was ready. There's another file which reveals that James Callaghan certainly saw the conquest of inflation and sticking to a strict wages policy as crucial, and that he would prefer to fight that battle during the winter, hope to win it, and then go to the country. But, and this is reported by an advisor, he, James Callaghan, added as a malicious afterthought that he would get great pleasure out of disappointing the Tory expectations about an October election. Now, one of the files that's been released is all about the Soviet threat to the United Kingdom. And this story really begins with the Joint Intelligence Committee. They've produced a paper which is all about the Soviet capability of attacking targets in the United Kingdom base, as it's called. And James Callaghan's immediate reaction, he writes, I take it that someone has worked out whether or not we can defend ourselves. The file then progresses from there. James Callaghan wants to know, are there measures in place to directly defend these UK targets from the Soviet threat? And essentially he's told, well, actually there isn't necessarily a contingency plan in place because we're relying on the NATO collective defence. But James Callaghan wants to know, are there targets in the UK? What plans are there to directly defend them? And... The Defence Secretary, Fred Mully, produces a paper. The paper paints a very bleak picture. It's essentially saying that um, there is very little in place against the Soviet sea threat or air threat. And Fred Mully admits that our defences are uncomfortably thin. 
James Callaghan is alarmed, concerned. So they then try to work out what would be the best strategy. Dennis Healy, Chancellor of the Exchequer, says there's no room in the defence budget for further expenditure. We'd have to talk about reallocating priorities. So David Owen, Foreign Secretary, suggests that what we might be able to do is to switch some tornado planes from the NATO effort to the direct air defence of the UK. Because one of the problems mentioned in the file is that Britain only had 98 fighters against a Soviet threat of 200 bombers. However, John Hunt, Cabinet Secretary, argues that if we switch planes away from NATO, our NATO allies will not be happy. The file concludes, it would seem, with John Hunt steering James Callaghan back to a line of really relying on the sort of collective NATO sort of defence for Britain's defences. But it's a file that's interesting because it shows that Britain was operating on the bare minimum defence-wise at this time. No doubt defence had suffered to some extent because of the economic crises of the early and mid-70s. Margaret Thatcher is certainly mentioned in the files. Of course, at this time, she was leader of the opposition, though having an increasing impact on the British political scene. Uh, There is a most entertaining file which concerns an event to commemorate 50 years of women getting the vote. In 1928, women were accorded the same voting rights as men, and it's decided to hold a sort of celebratory event 50 years on in 1978, So an exhibition is set up in Westminster Hall and Lady Burke is put in charge of all these celebrations but the government starts running into certain difficulties and the first of these is that there is a bit of an internal argument about whether or not Margaret Thatcher should be allowed to speak at the event. Files reveal that James Callaghan was plainly unhappy about her speaking at the event and to some extent this is obstructed. Lady Burke reveals that she felt that she'd been put under a certain amount of pressure about this, but she felt it, she had cleared it through number 10 that Margaret Thatcher would be allowed to speak. In the end, James Callaghan concedes on the issue because he realises that it could look rather bad if they were seen to be blocking Mrs Thatcher from speaking at an event which was all about female suffrage, and, of course, she was the first female leader of the opposition. So Mrs Thatcher does get to speak for five minutes at this event. But then the second problem is that Lou Grade, the entertainment mogul, has decided to put on a big show at the London Palladium, a special gala event to commemorate 50 years of women getting the vote with a whole host of female stars. There then turns out to be an unseemly amount of manoeuvring about who exactly is going to sit in the royal box with Princess Margaret and James Callaghan. And notes on the file reveal that James Callaghan was absolutely adamant that Mrs Thatcher was not going to get into the royal box. And an advisor reports this, Jim Callaghan saying, on no account is Mrs T going to get into the royal box. The matter then seems to exercise the minds of officials quite a good deal. For example, Ken Stowe, who was James Callaghan's principal private secretary, says that As he understood it, with Princess Margaret in the royal box and with yourself and Mrs Callaghan and um, perhaps somebody else as well, there would be no room for anybody else. He says, this is still being looked at, but I think with a mixture of sweet reasonableness and low cunning, we should be able to fix it. When it does come to the Palladium show on the 2nd of July, 
The royal box actually contained Princess Margaret and a lady-in-waiting, Lord and Lady Grade, and James Callaghan and his wife. And Mrs Thatcher was presented separately to Princess Margaret in an ante-room behind the box. So that was how that was resolved. But perhaps shows something about the attitude of James Callaghan towards Margaret Thatcher at this time. Of course, 1979 was to be a watershed year, really, a sort of break in the, in the post-war consensus because the winter of discontent had a huge impact on the general election of 1979 and the government lost a vote of confidence. A general election was called and in May, Margaret Thatcher's Conservative Party comes to power and, as I say, that is a, a story for another time, but it was a very significant year in the post-war history of Britain. This event was recorded live on the 18th of December, 2008, at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright, the National Archives. All rights reserved.